Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a conversation with Christina Baldwin, Anne Linnea, and host Diana Lindsay. This conversation is co-presented with Healing Circles Global. Welcome. I'm Kira Epstein. I'm the program coordinator at the new school at Commonweal. And today we have a special treat. We began a new series of conversations that explores the healing circle, and particularly the lineage of healing circles that we use at Commonweal. This is a five-part series that features conversations with lineage holders like Michael Lerner, Parker Palmer, and in today's conversation, Diana Lindsay, Christina Baldwin, and Anne Linnea. Diana is the co-director of Commonweal's Healing Circles Global Program, and we are so pleased to co-present this conversation with her and the whole network of volunteers at Healing Circles Global. You can find out more about the rest of the events in this series, as well as all of our events and event recordings, on our website at tns.commonweal.org. You can also find and subscribe on SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Ken Adams and Ron Hovav are behind the scenes today, helping us with production. So thanks to both of you. And now we're ready to begin. Diana Lindsay, Christina Baldwin, and Anne Linnea, welcome to the new school at Commonweal. Thank you so much, Kira. Thank you, Daron and Ken, for bringing this. And thanks to all of you that are here. I see so many familiar faces from Healing Circles, from Commonweal, from the Circle Way, and those of you brand new to this. We welcome you. Here are some words from Anne and Christina that continue to inspire me. We have the opportunity in Circle to heal our old stories and to make new stories that lead to different actions and create a different world. This is the promise that Christina Baldwin and Anne Linnea co-founders of the Peer Spirit and the Circle Way process have brought to us at Healing Circles Global. As Kira said, this is the first of a five-part series. It is our loan fundraiser of the year. Healing Circles Global is currently offering 1,500 service hours every month to people around the world. So anything you can offer is helpful from $1 to more. Please donate you can to the link in the chat box. Christina and Anne, we are good friends. We live not so far away from each other. And, uh, but I'd like to let our audience know you a little bit better. So I know that Anne says, keep it brief, keep it brief, but <laughs> you're, you're accomplished uh, women who I want to be sure everybody can understand the breadth of. Christina, you're a writer, a wanderer, a teacher on the trail of community and story. And you're also an author, and I know that you're right in the middle of yet another book, your first work of fiction. So we're looking forward to that. You were an early pioneer in the work of journaling as a way of understanding the self as source, which is the name of the workshops that you offer. Life's companion, journal writing as a spiritual practice was had thousands of copies, 100,000 copies before it got a second edition. Story catcher, making sense of our lives through, through the power and practice of story. It was really inspirational to me. Calling the circle, 
the seven whispers, spiritual practice for times like these. There's one chapter we'll get to the end that is actually the mantra we repeat frequently at Healing Circles Global. And with Anne, you wrote The Circle Way, a leader in every chair, which you can see mine is well post-it marked and uh, highlighted. And you came from a different background into this, an inspiring story of the relationship between human beings and nature. You wrote the award-winning Teaching Kids to Love the Earth. And then this story just continues to blow me away. In 1992, you were the first woman to circumnavigate Lake Superior by sea kayak. And you wrote Deep Water Passage, a deeply moving book out of that experience. You've written The Keepers of Trees, A Guide to Regreening North America. And I know that this is a continued passion of yours. So welcome to this. Thank you so much for giving us your time. And let's just jump in. Christina, in our training, we have another quote of yours that we use in every single training. It says, Circle started around the cook fires of humanity's ancestors and has accompanied us ever since. We remember this space. When we listen, we speak more thoughtfully. We lean into shared purpose. Can you talk about the origins of Circle? Why why Circle for you? Well, I, I think that it feels to me like a pan-cultural or a first culture. And Anne and I began researching this in the early 90s when we met. And Anne wanted to bring some of her burned out social activists, environmental activists indoors into a, a, a way to build a reflective practice. And I wanted to get some of the journal writing people I'd been working with outdoors into activities. So our very first seminar was called Women and the Planet, Returning the Gift. And as that began to work and we we called people into circle, we said, you know, this is something. It's something more than a shape. It's an energetic field. And it was very difficult to actually research it. But we began diving back into anthropology and especially with Anne and her literal history with campfires, then we began, where are the campfire rings of humanity? And there are old fire rings that show up in North Africa and the Middle East that are 160,000 years old. So it became obvious to us that people have come to the fire and that that circle is really the social DNA of our species. Yeah, thank you. Indigenous to all of us, really, our, our yeah. common heritage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in that same breath, Diana, we also honor the current day indigenous people who mm -hmm. have carried that form forward so that many of us who lost it in our particular race could recover it. So I want to speak that honoring. Thank you very much, Anne. You, what was, intention is one key part of everything that you do. And you just shared Christina, some of the, the first intentions behind those first workshops. Mm -hmm. What do you think became the intention of Pure Spirit and ultimately the Circle Way out of the work that you did? I think what became the intention of our work was to, to help people remember how to do this. 
and to train people to hold dedicated space. A lot of modern conversational space is not held socially. It's kind of drive-by conversation. Now we have texting and uh, twitting and all of this other kind of stuff. It's not really held. And Circle reminds us that when we sit down with one another, and especially if we put a purpose in the space between us, in the center between us, that it creates a whole different dynamic. So a lot of our work was to train people to do this and to help people remember how to do it. And then people started doing this and Healing Circles Langley and now Healing Circles Global is, is a huge part of the lineage that has come off of our life work. We work deeply in education, in women's religious communities, and in uh, hospital administrative settings. And now through the circleway.net, it's just really going global in a whole other way. I, and I think to follow up with what Christina is saying, I appreciate your question, mm -hmm. Diana, because the other most basic intentionality behind working in circle is a belief that there is a leader in each and every chair gathered in the circle. And that honestly, as a group, we will be wiser. Our decisions will be better if we hear the voices of everyone. I, that has been so profound to me, that idea of the leader in every chair. You started that with the idea of, you called it changing the triangle into a circle, changing hierarchy into a, a group, collective, collaborative um, endeavor. Can you talk more about how that worked for you? You, you mentioned the organizations, the education and the nurses. I know you did a lot of work in organizations. Well, I think that we talk a, a lot about using a talking piece sometimes in circle where you pass something hand to hand, but it should really be called a listening piece because when one person is talking, the rest of the room, the rest of the circle is listening. And I think it is the act of listening that creates leadership in every chair, to know that you have a chance to say your piece, to address whatever perspective uh, you're bringing to the purpose of a meeting. And that's what transformed a lot of the teams we worked with in organizations is that the traditional leadership, the CEO or the project manager, whatever, ended up listening to his or her team and then going, wow, this is a much more interesting way of doing it. And I feel much more educated. And the other part of that is we're not saying that the circle should replace hierarchy. There are times, particularly, I mean, I can give an excellent example in 911 situations. Mm -hmm. You want a chain of command. You want people to really respond um, by their job position or you have chaos. But circle works really well with hierarchy in every single situation mm -hmm. that we have been privileged to be a part of is one without the other uh, denies our basic human goodness and wisdom and makes 
any organization less in in my feeling. Hmm. Can you give us an example of a of an organization where this delicate dance between equality of voice and hierarchy? Well, well go ahead. Well, I was going to say um, the religious orders mm-hmm. of women that we were really privileged to work with over the decades. I mean, if you think about a hierarchical organization, the Catholic Church comes right to mind, right? <laughs> and um, the Catholic sisters themselves have definitely a hierarchical organization. But uh, they realize that in order for the provincial, which is usually the head of their particular organization, to work well, she can't work in isolation, you know, needing to hear the voices, not only of those who are directly below her in responsibility, but all of the women that she's mm-hmm. serving. So uh, that example comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Did you have one, Christina? Well, I was actually thinking of the same thing. Our, our newsletter that went out this morning featured some of the lessons from the Franciscan sisters that we we worked with over the years. And as they began to get smaller in number, they said, you know, it doesn't make sense to have a leadership council that's trying to, you know, organize 20 remaining active sisters. So it's like, we need to become a council in which we are all leaders. And to go, there's a facility then to go back and forth between, I need to make a decision and I need to listen to the community before I make that decision. And I think that kind of Mobius strip is the real transformation that leaders, it's not lonely at the top. It shouldn't be lonely at the top. You should always have a council around you. And when you look into indigenous village or tribal structure, there was a council of chiefs. There was a medicine society there, you know, that there were always groups of people who took responsibility for governance. And I love that even in the United States government now, you have a working cabinet Uh, and a president who says to the vice president, I want you to be the last one in the room, a very collaborative uh, sense of governance. Yeah, and since we both took an example of women religious, Mm -hmm. I'll just step back. I think two other places that we had an opportunity to work a lot with were healthcare Mm -hmm. settings and uh, higher educational settings. And the circle as a leadership form works best when there is a leader who does not hold things tight to the chest in terms of Mm -hmm. control is the leader who actually the circle won't won't work in an organization unless Mm -hmm. the leader genuinely believes that he or she will gain wisdom from those beneath. Now, I've heard you talk about circle being the universal pattern, and you set out to identify those patterns uh, and make them universal again in all of these different kinds of environments. And I know you had very specific patterns within the circle that you identified and taught. And I'd like to begin, uh, Christina, You mentioned the center just a little bit ago. With the role of the center 
and the role of the host, because mm-hmm. uh, that's another terminology used that's been important to us. What's the role of the center and the role of the host in the circle? Well, as I said, when Anne and I started this in the early 90s, I mean, we were such pioneers. We were trying, it was like a fish trying to uh, examine water. You know, what are, the, what are the elements of water that keep me alive? And in looking at the circle and looking at the campfire, we thought there has always been something in the center, traditionally. And uh, it was the fire, the cook fire, the campfire, the council fire. And so we've we've used that language, but also then talked about the shared purpose of the group. Why are we together? And whether it's a family reunion celebrating um, a birthday, a birthday or something, or whether it's a team in an organization, understanding why we're together becomes like this focal point that calls people then to speak to what's happening um, with relevance and brevity and focus. And it then it becomes like the center of a bicycle wheel in which everyone else's participation is linked to that core sense of what's in the middle. And it also then allows us to put very diverse opinions, even emotionally different opinions Mm -hmm. to that fire instead of across the circle from my chest to your chest. And so it's not that everyone has to agree, but everyone can lean in and look. Yeah, I think the the point that I would add here is structure is important. Mm-hmm. You know, circle is not a leaderless form. There are many roles of leadership on the circle, around the circle, and those rotate. Whether it is the host who takes the time to organize things, whether it's the guardian who is watching the energy of the form, and the role of the center is critical. I think particularly when we went into places of business that might be a little more suspicious of a soft form, um, the fact that we had language for structure was very reassuring to people. And especially because the center is the resting place of why are we here? So when conversations wander in any number of directions, which they do because we're human beings, It's easy for the host to bring it back and remind people of why we're here at this meeting. And if perhaps that conversation doesn't fit, it should be used in another circle gathering. Mm -hmm. So there's it was really important to us to bring enough structure into the form of circle that it could exist in modern culture. And we used the word we use the word host instead of facilitator because the the host and the guardian, and I know you're going to ask a question about that in a minute too, but the host and the guardian then are like point holders, but they're within the group process. They're not wandering around at the edge. They're not overseeing it. They're participating in it. But the role of the host is to stay cognizant of that center point, of the purpose, while um, just lightly, somebody said, spicing the conversation with structure. You know, what is the lightest possible structure we need mm-hmm. to make sure this And works? I know, I know that 
that idea you just mentioned of the host participating mm-hmm. is really quite different than a therapeutic model where the therapist needs to maintain mm-hmm. a professional distance. Here, everybody is in and uh, and equally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the word guardian, and I think that is one of the key roles. For us, uh, when we started Healing Circles Langley, when we heard of the guardian and experienced you as a guardian, we said, ah, oh, this will be safe enough for a volunteer organization to hold. Can you you tell me about how you see the role of the guardian? Well, the role of the guardian is a radical and ancient role. Somebody who is a part of things, but is a little bit stepped back and listening with the big ear. And um, in most modern meetings, there is an oftentimes a competition for, you know, how can I get my voice on the floor? And the guardian, um, every time I'm a guardian, I learn something new about listening and observing. And we give in the circle way a sound to the guardian, whether that be a bell or a rattle, something that is different than the human voice that can call a pause into the meeting as a whole. And I use the word radical because in many of the traditional settings that we were in, whether it was higher education or nursing or a group of doctors, it's like, what? You're going to ring a bell? I just don't, I'm not comfortable with that. But it introduces a pause, a way to get people to sit back in their seat and take a breath and listen to what is going on. Now, the guardian may ring the bell and call for a pause, but the guardian may have been asked to ring the bell by somebody else in the circle. It's not that the guardian controls this introduction of the pause and reflection. Mm -hmm. I was just listening to a podcast uh, that Krista Tippett was doing with Christine Runyon uh, about just that pause, you know, that's such a part of everything, of mindfulness, of breath, and how particularly in these times of the pandemic, that reset is vital to our sympathetic the balance between our sympathetic and our parasympathetic systems. Mm -hmm. And you were that without that, get you, we get the overlaying of trauma. Yes. So you, you instinctively had that. The other thing I think so profound about the guardian is to say, here is one person in the circle. We are going to dedicate to the safety of the circle. That protection of all, circle members is so vital that we're going to dedicate a role to that. How did you come up? Well, I think that, I mean, it's trial and error, right? I mean, so someone came to our very first training with the story of being in a, I think it was a men's group and the third speaker took the talking piece and went on for 30 minutes. And 
and the group just felt held captive in a way, you know, and so there's everything we thought, well, how could we prevent that, you know, set it up rather than being in that position of not wanting necessarily to cut someone off, but feeling like, oh, what do I do? So the guardian role came became obvious in its need very early on. And then Anne and I, as host and guardian, always sat across from each other so that we could each clearly see half of the circle so that everyone was in the view of either the host or the guardian. And that we made it clear that every participant could just, you know, say, I need a ding, um, please stop. And then so that there was that kind of rebalancing of power. And the guardian handles everything from, we're going to do a check-in. I'm going to invite us to do a one-minute, you know, like we did in the chat room at the beginning of this, you know, a one-minute little brief, why are you here today? Or occasionally we would ask a question that turned into a very deep dive And one of the examples in the book is about asking a group of nurse administrators to tell us a story about the day they decided to be a nurse. And Anne and I coming in from the outside thought, well, this will be a nice little check-in. Well, it was a huge dive into personal history. And we just surrendered the morning with and to it and just said, this is the most important thing that can happen. And with, again... The guardian making that observation Mm -hmm. and is this okay with everyone? Just naming it and going for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You talk, we've just been talking about the host and guardian, but the circle member, each circle member is vital to the success Mm -hmm. of the circle. It all doesn't rest on those two roles. And so you've had principles, you call them three principles You've mentioned the rotating leadership. Um, Your other two are sharing responsibility and a reliance on wholeness. What do you mean by that? Well, reliance on wholeness is acknowledging that the fullness of every human being that is sitting in that circle is important to the fullness of things, not just their mental acuity, not just their physical needs, their spiritual perspective as well. And so it is an invitation for the circle to welcome the wholeness of who we are. Mm -hmm. And so in many ways, um, it's inviting spirituality into modern circles. And at some level, the guardian plays that role. Mm That allows everyone to have that input. The other aspect of that is that oftentimes there is a moment where the circle starts doing us instead of us doing the circle. And um, your beloved Kelly used to say there's, you know, there's the mechanical and then there's the magic. And the reliance on wholeness is really making space and welcome for that magic to happen, for the circle to start informing us why we're here Mm -hmm. and to pay attention to that. And many times as that alchemy begins to really get stirred in a group, then the guardian role becomes very obvious because there's like a moment where somebody speaks it 
And the whole group kind of goes, <gasps> and wants to pause and really take it in and listen to it. And so the reliance on wholeness is, is a delightful dive. And we are all sharing responsibility for getting there and for allowing, allowing that shift to happen. Wholeness as the root of healing mm. was an important idea. We, that's why Parker Palmer will be our next speaker yeah. because his book, A Hidden Wholeness, uh, just helped us see all of the dimensions that we all carry and the healing that is possible right. within us all. And um, that moment when we're aware of that is that magic. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it happens, frankly, in almost every circle. But do you have uh, any example of times where that magic really spoke to your hearts? Ooh, I, I would say that the times that, you know, it's difficult because circle is a confidential space too, but that there has been over and over again, these spontaneous, often uh, participant-led uprisings of ceremony. And I'm thinking of a time in a training of ours where there was a lot of grief in the group. And one of the women just took a basket, just a straw basket, and began passing it around and just inviting people to symbolically, silently, or with a few words to put their grief into the basket. And the basket made its way all the way around. And then another woman took a shawl and just lovingly wrapped it as though it was the most precious child, you know, and held it, I mean, held it on her lap as you would hold a crying baby. And it it's the kind of thing where you can never say, if you have grief in the group, do this. Right. You know, it has to spontaneously arise out of that wholeness that's already there. You're listening to a TNS conversation with Christina Baldwin, Anne Linnea, and Diana Lindsay. So the example... I'll just trust. This is the example that came to me is you were probably not surprised. It's a nature example. Mm -hmm. So we were uh, leading a kayaking trip in Greece and we had uh, uh, an older Greek gentleman whose land we were camped on who spoke no English. And the reason I want to speak this example is the energetics of circle transcend language. Mm -hmm. So he was there for our evening campfire. He ate with us. And one of our guides, of course, was Greek and translating all of this. And we did our evening check-in after a particularly challenging windy day of paddling. And so the talking piece went all the way around and our Greek guide asked if Barbamitsos would like to speak. And so he took the piece and spoke in Greek. And, and I knew what he was saying. He was so pleased to be a part of this group, which included some children. 
and so pleased to be of help to the group. And it didn't matter that I didn't understand each word that he spoke. Energetically, I got it. Mm-hmm. And you, you talk about the energetics of circle in your training. And I, I experienced you as a very solid tree in the circle, giving <laughs> and taking and giving of, of uh, oxygen and mm-hmm. the exchange of CO2, how, how has your experience of nature informed how you experience the energy of circle? What an excellent question, Diana. <laughs> nature teaches us over and over again to be observant and to be spontaneous because things are changing all the time. That is really the only constant in nature and in our lives. And that practice for me over and over and over every single day, I'm outside as much as I possibly can be. And that kind of observation and listening and awareness is something that I bring when I come indoors or when I'm sitting outside with people. I am a person who would rather listen than speak. And uh, so I'll I'll just leave it at that. Thank you. You have three practices that you talk about, attentive listening, intentional speaking, and attending to the well-being of the circle. Uh, We talked a little bit about the intention behind the speaking And you mentioned that that talking piece would be better framed as a listening piece. But attending to the well-being of the circle, how we've had some examples of people who have done that. But how do you talk about that? I think it streams off the principle of shared responsibility Mm -hmm. that as you come to a circle and sit down and really get seated in yourself and centered in yourself, and pay attention to what is the purpose of this group, then it invites me while I'm sitting in the wholeness of my being to make choices that what would contribute now. Mm -hmm. And we oftentimes have what we call a story council at some point in the training where people are really invited to spend some time thinking about what would you like this particular group to know about you through story. And that upends a bucket of possibilities, you know, and it's it then is a sorting process. For myself, I go, what would contribute here? Not only in terms of what I would like the group to witness, but also what I would like to extend into the shared experience. And certainly in the healing circle you work that you are doing, this is the core of it, is how is story a healing process for the people who are contributing? So I love the word practice because I believe we don't learn anything without practice. And Anytime I am trying something new, I want to know what is the skill set 
that will help me do well in this form. And because a circle is an unusual form for many in our modern culture, it sure helps me to know, okay, what are the skills that I might work on to be a better circle member? And the word practice is intentional. We're never perfect at it. <laughs> we, we can, in a moment of passion in whatever we're speaking, forget that, oh, yes, we're supposed to be attending to the well-being of everyone here. And so to the best of our ability, we do that. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it such a beautiful life practice. Mm -hmm. I know I was just in a situation that wasn't so good. And I just kept saying over and over, what are our agreements? (laughs) So let's talk about that. Uh, The tool that helps Um, keep that well-being of the circle in addition to the guardian are the agreements. Why did you give voice to what we often take for granted? We we take for granted that there are common agreements and you said, no, let's, let's make them and let's give voice to them. Tell us, tell us about that. I have a friend who is a writer and many years ago, she said, you know, writing is like jumping on a bicycle and pedaling really fast, hoping it will materialize (laughs) under you. And unspoken agreements are like that, you know, that you jump into a group process and everybody starts talking and hoping that coherence will materialize under you. And we thought for the circle to really be strong, we need to articulate that so that people know, like Anne was saying about practice, people know how to sit down and behave toward one another and have that sense of, I've got this. I can do this. I'm contributing. Wow, look, somebody really liked what I just said, you know, that kind of thing. And without that, it, it can get chaotic really fast. Mm-hmm. So the Agreements that we came up with, we have invited people to put into their own words, to uh, reshape for the subculture of the group they're in. And I know that I've seen the agreements in the healing circles. You've done that beautifully. But to look at the common elements. And one common element is for the circle to be a healthy space. People need to understand what is confidential and what is shareable. And so we have the agreement about stories are confidential. And oftentimes information then needs to be shared, but that you get permission before you share stories. And that everyone will ask for what they need and offer what they can just strengthens all the principles and practices that you've been talking about. And that we share responsibility for listening to one another with an open mind, with compassion and not judgment. And I always say that for me, that's just changing the voice in my head from what is she doing to what is she doing? (laughs) And now and to raise it up to be curious instead of, of coming to conclusion. And then the fourth one is to introduce the guardian, you know, to agree to pause to agree to allow the guardian to have that kind of spiritual authority to stop all of us, including the host, 
and just say, let's take a breath. So um, let me give a specific example. I have the great joy of working with our local organic farm school right now. And we have 12 young people coming in next week, ranging in age from 21 to 45. And you might say, well, we know how to work together. You just, you work hard, you move the transplants around. But it's that word assumption, Diana, that you use that is critical. If we make assumptions and people don't do what we're assuming, then we project all over them. So let us come. So we will, in our first day together, spend an hour and a half generating agreements for how we will be together this next nine months. And I don't, when I introduce that, give them examples except for one. Assume good intent, which is a very, very important agreement for them and language they may not use Mm -hmm. coming from a variety of backgrounds, but it opens up the conversation. Oh, assume good intent. Another one that comes forward is, let us ask someone if we are not clear what they have said. So I I don't need to go into any more details, but agreements in a workplace or norms of operating, as is often called in big businesses, it's just part of daily life with good reason. We've learned it's an important thing with human beings. Mm -hmm. You think that we could do that with our marriages, relationships (laughs) between parents and children. You know, we make vows, but in our day-to-day to to make the agreements that we remember, that's beautiful. And Christina, you you use the word curiosity and uh, research shows that every moment we're curious, we get a hit of dopamine. Oh, good. Not only gives us pleasure, but boosts our immune system. So to, you know, to be, and furthermore, in this pandemic, we've lost that. Mm-hmm. And so our thinking is becoming rigid, which is why we tend to have two sides and then we fight. Mm-hmm. So to have that ability to be curious about one another is actually the first step in our healing process. Mm-hmm. I'd like to come back to story because, uh, Christina, you hope you wrote a whole book. You call it Story Catcher, and you've called it a map of human experience. Can you tell us more about the role of story in circle? You know, you I know from participating in your workshops, you dedicate a whole night to people's stories and give them time to reflect. You know, we're in a 90-minute format. Yeah, But as you said, we have the opportunity to get to know and be and support each other week after week after week for as long as we want. Mm-hmm. So tell us more about story and, the, and its role. Well, if, if language was a human body, story would be the spinal cord. Mm-hmm. That every language has this kind of narrative core to it. And until we had literacy and writing, 
most of human experience was passed along orally and embedded in story because people remember it. And so a lot of the scientific nature-based wisdom of our long ancestral history is actually comes down to us through story. And that when in English, you begin something that says, once upon a time, it opens up the right brain. It opens up a part of our mind that listens differently. And we begin to track so that there's data and information and survival information that's embedded, but you tell it through story. And so even like with little children, you can say to them, don't touch the stove, it's hot. Or you can say to them, once there was a little duck who wandered into the kitchen and he touched the stove with his bill. And that's why the duck goes quack, quack, quack. You know, well, what is the little kid going to remember? You know, going to remember, ooh, I don't want to be like that duck, you know. So it's, it's, um, it's a delightful, playful way to educate and inform one another. And it also creates empathy. So, I mean, this is the, the huge seeding for you in healing circles is that one person brings a story and others lean in and relate to it and relate to that person through it. And it also is a way that people who are very different can discover commonality. So one of the threads I want to pick up here, once upon a time, um, many Augusts ago, a man and woman met Christina on the trail on the <laughs> island and talked to Christina about this idea that they had for starting some kind of healing circles. And Christina explained that in two days, our circle training was starting. Perhaps you want to join. And uh, Diana, you are so incredibly articulate about circle and you have done phenomenal work I am going to, as the panelists, question, ask a question of you because you're so articulate. I believe the participants here, who I wish we could see, will learn a lot uh, listening to you. What are a couple of the silver threads of the Circle Way work, or maybe even the steel threads, that um, have enabled you to build uh, healing circles into a global movement in a relatively short time. So what are the steel threads of the circle way that you, that really have enabled you to do that? Well, um, simplicity has been key uh, structure. We, we simplified it even more. Mm -hmm. uh, the role of host and guardian, um, because we wanted to have a volunteer-based movement, mm -hmm. um, because we wanted to sustain over time, uh, we were moving away from the retreat center format mm -hmm. um, into something that could support you no matter what happened in your day. Maybe it's the anniversary of your sister's death. Maybe someone dear to you just died. Maybe um, you've 
lost a pet, a good friend. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you're anxious. Uh, We all cycle through all of this every day. And you, we all come from a very strong community where people do hug each other in grocery stores. Um, But there is a feeling that we live in this beautiful community. How could anything be wrong? And, uh, you know, I knew that wasn't true, that Mm -hmm. while we might have the smile and we might have the hug, that each of us had something in that moment they were working on. So we wanted to be able to provide that support over time. So we didn't, it couldn't be professional based, couldn't involve money. Um, So your ideas of the host and the guardian I, as a volunteer, am not the great leader. I'm not the great therapist. I'm not responsible for taking anyone from here to there. I'm responsible for setting the space and welcoming it. Mm-hmm. You know, that was such a profound idea. And the idea that the guardian would be with you always, you would always have a buddy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so maybe today you're not feeling so well. You can always turn can you host as I did last week for the global circle of hosts? Mm -hmm. I just turned to Susanna 10 minutes before the call. You know what? When I sense the energetics of my body, I'm not fully present. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I love that. And, um, and Kelly and I love the power of the agreements Mm -hmm. because we saw if we just set that out, that's really all we need. It's really mm-hmm. all we need. We converted the leader in every chair to the healer in every chair. Mm-hmm. And Great. so an important uh, agreement is that we honor each other's paths to healing and don't presume to fix, save, or give advice. Mm-hmm. And that that's a challenging one. That's our most challenging one. But it, it helps us um, take the responsibility for our, for our own healing. And without that, uh, we don't we don't heal as thoroughly. I'll, I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to tell another story that you said that leads us into the next place because they're going to get a chance to hear me in a, in a few weeks. So <laughs> thank you. And for sharing this responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> we have talked about how you set up a structure that organizations can use. Uh, but we were just alluding a few minutes ago to how this is a, a way of life. Mm-hmm. And you told me a story, Christina, of a tough year that the two of you had and how you always carried a little candle in your purse. And I, I don't know if you carried a bell in your purse, mm-hmm. but whenever the two of you felt like you needed to talk, you put it in the middle. Yeah. I know which tough year was that, you know, but, <laughs> but um, I know when we were raising Anne's children that she brought to our partnership that we would Sunday morning when the teenagers are sleeping in, we would go down on the beach and we would with the lovely debris the beach offers us make this beautiful little mandala in the middle between us and we would really talk to one another about how we were each coping and how the kids were and that kind of thing. And so it became kind of a a weekly ritual. And um, 
a, a man who came to our circle work at that time said he went home and he asked his wife three questions. How are you? How are we? And how are we with God was his language, you know? So how are, so it could be translated however that works for you, but it's like really to check in from self to us, to the wholeness of who we are. And to now we have these little LED candles that you can carry in your purse. And it, or you can even in the grocery store when you are done hugging and you say, How are you really? I mean, sometimes I will just stand with my hands cupped like this, and it, it's uh, somatically signals I am receiving what you're saying. And I want to listen with my open hand, not just. Hi, how are you? And move on. Mm-hmm. So a structure to that piece of the two of us sitting in circle. Uh, before I address that, I am so glad you asked that question because, of course, circles can just be two people. Two people. You don't need three, four, five, six, whatever. Is that because I am more introverted than Christina, which is probably pretty easy to see in this interview, in our format between the two of us, we would, if it was my turn to hold the talking piece, she would simply listen for 10 Mm -hmm. minutes and we literally uh, looked at our watches. So for me, a lot of silence would ensue, but it gave me an opportunity then to bring forward those pieces that were deeper inside of me, that there was space and there was time. So, you know, that again brings up a couple of points about circle. One, it can just be two people, and two, really need to give people time and space to tap into what is happening inside of them. Mm-hmm. Kelly and I took that that story and uh, made it a, a deep part of our marriage, which was if we were having any conversation where, you know, either the pace got too fast or there was a disagreement before it got to a fight, we would just take whatever it was at hand, which was usually a salt shaker (laughs) and just put it between us. And the minute the salt shaker went between us, that just meant, okay, go ahead. Talk as long as you want. When you're done, I'll talk as long as we want. I want, how do we do? Do we need another round? Yep. Okay. Do it again. Yeah. I love the simplicity of that. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. one of the important things is, you know, in relationships, in family, and actually in places of work. I'm thinking again about the organic farm school next week, is if there is a structure for having a conversation that includes listening, it helps avoid drive-by comments. Mm -hmm. And drive-by comments, as all of us who are partnered or come from families or have (laughs) friends know, can can be not so helpful sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. And if the moment is such that the drive-by comment cannot be unpacked, having the tool of circle to say, I'd like to bring out the salt shaker tonight to mm-hmm. just revisit that conversation or whatever um, your format is. 
Another thing that we did in the trainings that I find really applicable in daily life is appreciation. Mm-hmm. And to we would close the trainings with an appreciation council in which in various formats, people were really offered back how the group saw them and appreciated them. And I, we just had our grandchildren up here for the first time in a year and a half, and we had wonderful little check-ins every morning, but it wasn't until after they had left for the airport, I went, oh, you know, it's just, we we were out of practice and, <laughs> and we didn't do an appreciation council with them. And there are so many appreciations that as their grandmothers, we really wanted to offer them in the container of listening. And it would have been very, I think, helpful to us to also hear the their reflections back to us. So I just kind of noted that in myself and thought, oh, I don't want to forget that. I don't want that to slide away. And it's a great way to refresh re- relationships of any kind mm-hmm. to just pause and say, and what do I appreciate about you? Um, even when Anne's kids were here and we went through some of the sort of step family rockiness, we would give them a few days warning and say, before you, <laughs> before you go to your father's for Christmas, you know, we're going to have an appreciation council. And so you have to think of something nice to say to us and each other, kind of, you know, and, um, and it was helpful. Yeah. It was helpful in some of the rockiness of those years. You're listening to a TNS conversation with Christina Baldwin, Anne Linnea, and Diana Lindsay. I'd like to just offer to everybody listening that I'm going to just ask Anne and Christina one more question, because obviously we could be here all afternoon. Uh, but we want to give you the opportunity to ask questions. So please put it in the chat, put it in the Q&A. Um, and while everybody's doing that, Anna Christina, you'll be back with us um, in our last webinar, which will be a panel, which will be so much fun to all be together. And we'll be looking forward, but um, I'd like to just give a taste of that from the distance, um, the power of story, the container of Circle Bay have fabulous transformative power. And I started the quote this off with the quote where you talk about, you talk about the power to talk the world we need into being. Mm-hmm. Where do you see Circle? Um, how do you see it helping us in all the challenges that we're facing today? Honestly, I cannot imagine uh, solving the challenges we have today without Circle. Mm-hmm. It's like Christina began by speaking. It was the most basic human form of gathering in groups. And we need it today more than ever. Mm -hmm. And we need that center point. I think particularly, like you said, this last year of isolation, people have siloed what they believe. And now we need to listen to each other. Mm -hmm. And in, in the kind of bursting forth of family reunions and memorial services and weddings and all of that stuff that's been on hold for the last year and a half. 
to bring to those settings the lightest hosting and guardian of the moments, to give people a chance to say to one another, why did you come? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm thinking of a my in both our families, there's quite a wide range of political and spiritual belief. And it is in sitting in circle and asking the question around, you know, what sustains you about being in this family? Mm-hmm. You know, allows people to do everything from testifying um, on one end to really speaking, I don't know what the other end of the spectrum is, but without charge, without feeling like we have to come to some kind of false unity, but to just mm-hmm. listen to the range of heartfelt appreciation and connection that people feel. And I so it, to me right now, it's about listening our way back to one another and going to, to the places where we can extend a hand. And Thanks. that's different for everybody. Yeah. So I'm going to start with um, some questions. And uh, Claudia Root is here from Cape Town. Mm-hmm. And she has been using this in trauma work and mm-hmm. healing in the Cape Town area um, with lay people and communities so filled with generational and systemic violence. Mm-hmm. How, how do you think Circle can work in that context? And how, how would you approach hosting Circles in that context? Well, I'll start by blessing her. Yeah. That is an extraordinary undertaking. We have had the privilege of being in Cape Town. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the most important things will be a very tight, loving structure. Mm -hmm. And only she and the local people will know what are a good set of agreements. Mm -hmm. But you know, it could be as basic as there can be no violence or harm done to anyone in this mm-hmm. circle. So I would just call Claudia to her deepest wisdom mm-hmm. about her own local community. Mm-hmm. And and ceremony that's appropriate to the setting, Claudia, in terms of, you know, when people are highly disturbed. I mean, there've been times that we have wrapped them in a blanket and, and with permission held them from behind to to just help them stay in their body, to really look at the energetic practices that will keep people grounded. Um, And, and I would hesitate to give in for, you know, advice about that from such a distance, but to really trust your own intuitive knowing in your community of how to help people stay grounded while they're revisiting trauma and not re-traumatize themselves in the process. And who, who would be your local elder who could sit in that circle and provide comfort Mm-hmm. even if that elder didn't speak so much. Yeah. So that's interesting because there's a question from Lena Kramer that is how might gray heads hold <laughs> the containers for building bridges and understanding? Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the question that all of us gray all of heads. Us gray heads. 
Thank you, Lena. Of course you ask a wise question. Oh, my. It's like finding the point of empowerment locally where one is needed and finding the point of empowerment in our families. Mm -hmm. So my family is hoping to gather in June. My mom, the last of her generation, passed away in October. And of course, because of COVID, we were not able to celebrate her life, her 94-year-old life. And as we gather, my three sisters and I are the gray heads, and how we hold that container, everything from fun to really honoring uh, mom, is going to be up to us to step forward and take leadership because people are coming from long distances because they want to honor this woman that they loved so deeply. And if we don't provide the container for collecting that, it will be an opportunity that was lost, really. Mm -hmm. This is a question from Chris Camerata, uh, who himself should be on this panel. Chris, next time. He's asking you if there's something you say to yourself, like a reminder to center yourself or a silent prayer before you enter circle. If so, would you mind sharing it? Mm. I, I can answer first. The question that I always ask in my moment of quiet, whether that's outside walking or just breathing is, how can I be of best service in this moment and this gathering? Christina? Well, I often ask um, to be used by the circle, by that wholeness, by the circle itself, that there is an intelligence and a heart that comes into this called space and it slows us down and I ask to be a good servant to the space itself. And, um, you know, our rituals uh, have evolved over the years. And now that we're not out there doing it so much. But part of this conversation in me is, is really calling me back to this part of, of myself and ourself to revitalize how we live it in the everyday as well as in the circle. Mm -hmm. um, we've got lots of wonderful questions here. And there's a couple of, of about translating this to the virtual world. Mm -hmm. um, is it metaphor? Is it invitation? The experience translates, but visually the circle flattens. The mm -hmm. center point becomes hard to track. Is it visual where where does center become in this Zoom environment? This is a question from Julie Portelli. So I've seen people take a, a cell phone and prop it up looking at a candle, and then that becomes a participant. So that there is a space on the screen where um, the center is obvious and held. It may not be in the center of the frame, but it's always there amongst us. And 
that's very helpful. Also to have people create between our own bodies and the flat screen, we're talking to a little center point. So you can take a tiny little LED tea light and put it on your laptop without ruining your equipment. And, but it reminds you that that center is there. And um, I find myself or because we can't literally pass the talking piece to one another. Oftentimes the host will say, please bring a, a talking piece to your computer with you. And I'll put that on, on my laptop so that I'm reminded over and over again of the center. So <clears throat> I am not a person who loves online environments the most but I am the first one to say it is stunning the creativity that people have brought to bringing circle online. Mm -hmm. And certainly one of the things that the pandemic has given us is a whole other look at online worlds. And, you know, just as a very tangible example, um, the nursing home where my mother was started introducing the ability for her to have a Zoom call with her four daughters. And it was a circle. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she began incredulous. Where are you? Are you out in the lobby? You know, she <laughs> couldn't understand this flat screen. But no, I, I give huge accolades also to our colleagues in the Circle Way who have mm -hmm. taken uh, the Circle work online because that's what's happening. And so a circle is round. It rolls into the next mm -hmm. best opportunity. Mm -hmm. The other thing I think we really are called to in the on-screen circle <clears throat> is... Um, a responsibility for holding ourselves to sacred space because we're we're scattered in different mm -hmm. so many different areas and i mean in life intrudes you know we see this where the cat tail suddenly goes to the <laughs> screen or you uh, the phone rings or a dog barks or whatever and and that's life and yet we're here we're here with with one another and I think the small breakout groups in larger settings has uh, has been a, a miracle for many, many people. And I mean, just look at this call that we have people from Australia and South Africa and Europe and across North America. And, you know, we couldn't do this otherwise. Can I can I come back to this idea of sacred space? And mm -hmm. you mentioned um, the spirituality. What do you mean? By that, how does how does circle become a sacred space? Well, you know, there is that phrase when two or more of us are gathered in the Christian tradition in his name. Um, and I think that really is the answer to your question, Diana. When two or more of us are gathered with the intention of honoring one another's humanity. And by honoring, I mean welcoming the fullness of who you are. I saw a question go by from a colleague of ours. Would you speak about shadow? Mm -hmm. And um, 
And of course, um, parts of ourselves that we keep hidden, that we really don't want others to see, when the wholeness of us is invited to sit in circle, all those parts will come forward. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I'm trying to be as tangible as I can in answering your question, Diana. But I believe that when people gather and they're listened to and they listen to others, that is what makes sacred space. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Now, I want to say that on the circleway.net, there are so many resources available and that we at the end of our teaching active teaching phase we just handed this over to this nonprofit because the circle is really a ministry of sorts it is when you're helping people remember how to call sacred space that we didn't want, I mean, we needed it to sustain us, but it wasn't really a consulting practice for us. It was a way of of helping um, a global community remember itself. And so we have a booklet on shadow and energetics and um, a two-page guideline to how you do this that's in 18 or 20 languages. And to just please go out there. Most of it is free. Um, And celebrate and and look at who's there and participate in this don't be afraid to sit down and try this and practice it and keep doing it you know i so want to honor the two of you for the tremendous gift you gave mm-hmm. it it is so radical to give things away <laughs> and it was deeply inspirational to us and it's why we give everything away we're following in your footsteps um, so we, we really appreciate that. And I, I, there's a question from Ange Coxon Ange works with students, with younger people, and she'd like to know more about the appreciation council and, yeah. uh, idea. Can you just, uh, let her know, let us all know, particularly in the context of youth? Yeah, it's so much fun to work with little kids because their filter is so much fresh, you know, and to... Or even teens. Or teens, you know, and to take something that's fun, like a little koosh ball as a talking piece and to just toss it around a circle, a classroom, and whoever's holding it, um, three people get to say what they like about that child or... um, I, that child can toss it to another child saying, you know, uh, Dewana, what I like about you is your wonderful curly hair and big smile and toss it across the room. And I mean, just like shake up the energy and have fun with it. Um, works great with teens as well. O- or people can write slips of paper, like little Valentines, like one sentence Valentines that they deliver around the circle. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah, the benefit of uh, making a game out of yeah. it, if you will, besides changing the energy, is it helps us think about each other in appreciative ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, there probably needs to be a little bit of coaching before the koosh ball or something gets passed, tossed, but just to say, one thing you can think about that you appreciate about that person and then give a whole bunch of examples because they're going, 
really, Roger? I don't appreciate anything about him. But <laughs> of course, you do if you yeah. think about it yeah. deeply enough. So, yeah. Uh, there's a question here from Lisa Magdalena about tips for inviting folks who are not predisposed to it. How do you get folks curious enough to try it? Well, that's such a broad subject. Ooh, I mean, yeah. usually we're asking people from a certain population pool, whether it's a family, whether it's a school classroom. So I think I I would answer her question from that standpoint. If you are interested in having a family member, uh, uh, teaching colleagues join you, then what would bring them to the table? What would yeah. make them curious? Now, in my own family, I gave the example, what's bringing people to this gathering is their love for Asti, the beloved grandmother. And um, so what, I, I have a hard time answering when it's such a broad topic. It is, for some people, it's a scary idea if it's very formal and held tightly. Mm -hmm. But one of the things you said, Diana, which was very relevant, I think part of what's working in healing circles is it's held lightly. And um, so to get circles going in a group that you're interested in bringing it, think, all right, what? Maybe it's a book group. Or it's check-in. Yeah, there are plenty of book yeah. groups, which could easily be uh, morphed into circles, which would enable the comments to drop down to a whole other level. I hope I hope that's helpful. Yeah, and I think in business and, and also in families, we do a check-in, you know, where we just say, you know, before before the football game, before dinner, before starting the meeting, you know, which is whatever that's going to be, say, I just want to check in here. We've even done that in our neighborhood association, asking people to say their name, um, how long they've lived in the neighborhood. And one thing they like about living together in this way, you know, and, and people will go, gosh, you know, our annual meeting just went so much better. I have no idea why. <laughs> you know? and, it's, and it's because we did the check-in. And, yeah, and I check think check-in is a very powerful way of doing that. And you can do it without being elaborate in any way. Um, and and in, in business, we would say, we want to know why, you th why do you think you're at this meeting? What is one thing you need to get out of it and one thing you're bringing? And people will... It's enough of an intellectual question. People can kind of go into their heads, but as it goes around, it really feeds the whole, whole group. I'm just going to ask one more question here because I know Kira has some announcements at the end of our time, but uh, you've talked about so many different uses for circle and they range from just this, you know, just a neighborhood meeting can go smoother <laughs> to very deep transformative healing work, regardless of what the healing is, whether it's a physical illness or whether it's an organizational rift or a societal trauma. But what has always struck with me was 
how you closed our first workshop. And you talked about love. And you mm-hmm. talked about the love that comes through circle. Can you share more with everyone on that? Well, love is the essence of everything. And I know I feel loved when people listen to me and appreciate me. And because circle brings both of those things in, we just finished this whole conversation about appreciation councils. Mm -hmm. So once people have been listened to and appreciated they feel much more confident about coming forward and with love towards one another. Mm -hmm. And isn't that a radical notion? Well, I think love is sacred space Mm -hmm. and sacred space is love. And the notion that God is love, the divine is love, is the universality of all spiritual traditions. Mm -hmm. So when we call in the circle and activate that space, that kind of universal love is always present in the room with us. And it is up to us then to activate it, to believe it, to relax into it, uh, and acknowledge it, to be the mouth, the eyes, and the ears of that divine presence. Christina and Anne, it has been such a delight to be with you. I am so glad that I've been able to share with everybody on this call the delight I get from our conversations. Um, this You have been so instrumental in inspiring the work that has come. And I just would like to end by Uh, letting everybody on the call know that Healing Circles Global has two two great missions. One is to provide a place of support to anyone. Our coming together circles have completely taken off. There's 20 of them every single week. And although, interestingly, the goal is to come together, We now have coming together circles for LGBTQ, for men, for women, for different age groups, for moms, for, uh, you know, just what what we're called to. Um, We now have a circle starting for death and dying and the place to have that kind of conversation. We have circles for grief. We have nine circles for cancer. So if you have cancer, you can find a circle whenever you need one. We have circles for caregivers and most importantly, in appreciation for the work that our essential workers and our nurses and our doctors and healthcare workers, we have circles for healthcare workers. But the other key thing is just the pleasure, the deep pleasure that we have in becoming hosts and guardians of these circles. So we have a training starting next week, next Thursday. And if you haven't had a chance yet to be trained, we we welcome you in. As I said at the beginning, this is a fundraiser. If you can donate, anything is helpful. And I'm going to, with deep appreciation, thank Christina and Anne again and turn it over 
to Kira and the wonderful technical crew. Thank you. And thank you you for your work. Yes. And I will add my thanks to the circle. Um, Diana, Christina, and Anne, thank you for being with us and for sharing about how you hold circles and for modeling how you hold circles today. Diana Lindsay, Christina Baldwin, and Anne Linnea, thank you for being with us at the New School at Commonweal. See you next time, everybody. Thank you. Thanks to all who listened. You've been listening to a TNS conversation with Christina Baldwin, Anne Linnea, and Diana Lindsay. Thank you for listening to TNS, the New School at Commonweal. The New School at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kira Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams, and our theme music is by Jeremy Cohen. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo, and Amazon Music. Thanks for listening.